Well, it's wonderful to be with you this morning. Uh, so thank you, church. It's always a privilege to, to serve you with the Word of God. But you know, we are, going, we are moving beyond church. We are moving into family. And so this morning I'm standing before my family, and I say thank you. Thank you for receiving us. But I feel so humbled. I mean, you know, it feels like I'm this, this, this big missionary coming from the field, and, uh, you know, I'm coming to serve you with the Word of God. And, and it's actually all about God, you know. Um, this mission trip to Zim, I want to encourage you. That is your first steps. <laughs> Cross-cultural missions, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where you start to learn to really serve God beyond your own community, beyond your own family that you know. And that's where God really starts to take down barriers. And so what you find is, and that's what I'm so, so encouraged to see this morning, is, uh, is, this, is, the, is this youth conference you were on. Because you see, this is how God works with us. He calls us to him. He says, come follow me. Come, let's go deeper. And then he says, let me send you. Let me send you, because I have a plan and a purpose for each one of you. And so this morning, I want to pick up on a, on a message, and a, the topic this morning is without a doubt. Without a doubt. And uh, I'm going to start with the introduction to a story about my daughter, Bernice. She was about nine or ten years old. At that stage, Cape Town was still a holiday destination for us. So, uh, <laughs> so we were at Blueback Strand and, uh, and she put a, a watch on the towel and uh, when we, when she left, she shook off her towel and we went home. And that evening she realized she forgot her watch on the beach. And she said, Dad, we have to go back tomorrow morning to fetch my watch. I'm like, no. It's not going to be there. It's not possible. I mean, you have the tide coming in, the tide going out. You have the metal detector sweeping the, the beach. What is the what is the chances of actually you know your watch being there? And anyway, so she she kind of dragged me along to go to the beach. And so we went. She went right straight to the spot, which I didn't think she would find even. And she put her hand into the sand, and she stood there with a big smile. And uh, all this, she, she actually reminded me that she did pray for the watch, you know. She did ask the Lord to help her. But the faith of a young child had to actually teach me that morning um, that there is times you don't need to have doubt. She had absolutely no doubt. But then we read about someone in the, in the Gospels called Thomas, and, uh, and he had a lot of doubt. And so I want us just to go into this passage in John chapter 20. And we see that Thomas was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. And in this passage preceding John 20, uh, Jesus was crucified, as you know. He was put in the tomb. And, uh, and Mary Magdalene ran to the tomb the next, after the next day or so, and she went to see that the tomb was empty. And this really distorted her. And we, we find that that Jesus appeared to Magdalene and, uh, and showed, uh, showed himself to her. But he also showed himself to, to the, the disciples, the eleven, without Thomas. And so we pick up the story where, where the, the, the eleven is now telling Thomas, one of the disciples, they saw Jesus. 
And let's see how, how Thomas actually responds to this. In John chapter 20, verse 24 to 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to, to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and, and place of my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. I want to unpack this passage for us into four topics or four points. The first one, trust in Christ because it's a choice. In verse 25, Thomas says, unless I see, I cannot believe you guys. And the disciples were, were eyewitnesses of citing that Jesus is alive, yet Thomas did not believe them. But all the other disciples also did not believe Jesus was alive until they saw him. If you just go to Mark chapter 16, and I'm going to read from you verses 10 to, to, 10 to 14. Mark records here, he says, She went, speaking about Mary Magdalene, she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had seen her by her, they would not believe it. <laughs> After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves, and they were reclining at table, and rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So Thomas witnessed how Jesus was killed on the cross, in front of his own eyes. This must have been so traumatic for him. This must have been so traumatic to see Christ on the cross. Although Christ tried to tell him before the time this has to happen, it's, this must have brought a lot of anxiety and, 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 and uh, turmoil in his life, watching Christ being crucified like this. So Thomas needed more proof that Jesus was alive. Thomas received the label Doubting Thomas. We all remember him as Doubting Thomas, isn't it? But here's a, here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon, and he says, Doubt discovers difficulties which it never solves. Belief is the word which speaks life. Belief is the word that speaks life. 
So, you know, about uh, two years before Diane and I initially set out for Burundi in 2009, we started to just prepare ourselves and uh, we settled and served, of course, in the local church and shared with the leadership what God wants to do in and through us. And uh, we took the time to prepare in terms of learning the word and, and subscribing to Bible school, etc. And while we were in this preparation stage, we, we were, our mindset was, this is what God wants us to do. You know, we were confident of it and that God will provide everything we need. So once we settled in Burundi after this two years of preparation, we, we immediately started the ministry. I remember that first meeting, I invited about 50 leaders in the, in that town to come and come to the meeting. And what happened was, the meeting was scheduled for 9 o'clock, and around 12 o'clock, about 9 people arrived, you know. And I was so disappointed. I thought, what is wrong with these Christians? Um, and I started to question whether I'm in the right place. God, did I hear incorrectly? I mean, I make an invitation, you send me here, and uh, what happens? No one arrives. And... And there was really that that was the time when the rubber hits the road. Where, where you need to not doubt what you've heard in the light. We have to now say, right, the Lord's called me here. I've heard correctly. I have to continue. And we had to make choices to trust God rather than the people we were looking at. So the next point, trust in Christ because He is worthy. Now, in verse 26, we see that Jesus appears to them through the locked doors. The doors were locked and they were inside. So my first question is, why were the doors locked in the first place? Well, verse 19, if you jump up to John 20, verse 19, explains that. It explains that the disciples and Thomas had fear for the Jews. They didn't want anyone to come in. Very much like it is these days uh, in South Africa. So, so we would have gated communities and that kind of thing, but Jesus appeared to Thomas and the other disciples in the same way he did earlier. That's very interesting. There was no barrier which could prevent Jesus from revealing himself to Thomas. We see even this locked doors, all the things we're trying to do to keep God out. He finds a way in. And the appearance Jesus was to restore peace and trust in their hearts. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to come and restore something into the hearts of these disciples. So Jesus responds to them, Peace be with you. Now that's a Hebrew customary greeting. Uh, peace means, basically if you go back to the meaning, it actually means free, freedom of anxiety and turmoil. So, so Jesus is saying, be free of anxiety and turmoil. I'm with you. Fear and anxiety and doubt, those things rob our inner peace, you know. Those things keep you from testifying, keeps you from reaching out to others about the gospel. Oh, don't talk to me. I, I'm a Christian, but it's, it's like I'm, an, I'm a closed closet Christian. I, I remember when I just uh, came to Christ in the, in uh, being in a corporate environment, I had so much fear just to share it with people that, that I was a Christian, <laughs> to share with people what happened. But what happened with me, could, I could not hide it from anyone. I, I could not hide, and I shared this with you before in another sermon, 
how God just released me from from smoking and and being with the the main money in the pub and so forth and and then the very next day people would say well, what's wrong with you why aren't you why aren't you joining us for a smoke or and I just had to say well I, I met Jesus you know and um, uh, and I said what I, I met Jesus and other occasions people would ask me what just explain what happened what happened to you and I'll give all kinds of reasons but that, that some you have changed I say all I could say is Jesus changed me. And they were like, oh, okay, we lost him. <laughs> but but I, I was walking with this fear inside of me. I knew Christ. I knew he transformed me. But yet I was captured in this anxiety and this fear. And so Jesus comes, uh, we see also in John fourteen twenty seven. He says in another occasion, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now the world's peace is different to God's peace. You have to understand that. Uh, the world's peace is from the outside in. Yeah. So we built all this comfort around us to protect us. Uh, we can be inside a, a stronghold of a house. But we will still have fear inside, you know. So God's peace is from the inside out. <laughs> so God's peace, peace transforms from inside out. So Jesus repeated the exact words of Thomas. Jesus knows every doubting thought we think. Isn't it so amazing that Jesus knew exactly the words that Thomas was speaking? And he repeated it back to him. So the presence of Jesus always accompanies compassion, love, and healing. So here's another quote from John Piper. He says, The best news of the Christian gospel is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to remove every obstacle between us and himself so that we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savoring in his infinite beauty. Every obstacle. Jesus is worthy to be trusted because he will overcome every obstacle with you for your good. The third point I've got here is trust in Christ because it is an instruction. In verse 26, he says, Stop doubting. And believe. Stop doubting and believe. So we need to talk to ourselves as well. You know, sometimes we just want to do things and we need to actually stop ourselves from doing it. Stop it. Just stop it. And Jesus commanded the disciples to stop doubting and believe. Because doubting is actually a lack of trust. It's a lack of trust. Now interestingly, doubt can, can have either a positive or a sinful outcome. It's no, it's no, nothing wrong to ask questions. There's nothing wrong to be a skeptic. You know, we need to ask questions. In fact, I ask too many questions. And, and then I kind of, people feel I'm, I'm being funny with them. But I just, I just, my personality is I always test the status quo. I, if a line is like this, I would say, why is the line not like that? And so, so there's nothing wrong with questioning, you know. 
So it depends if your doubting is based on the quest to know the truth or not. The latter will lead to a stubborn, unrepented heart. But if you really want to discover Christ deeper, there's nothing wrong in doubting. There's nothing wrong in asking the questions. And when we encounter people who are doubting the truth of the gospel, we need to be the salt and the light by asking open questions and sowing the seeds of the gospel in love. You know, not every person you're going to come to that you explain the gospel to is going to fully understand it immediately. But understand, you're a part of a series of seeds that God's going to place in that person's life. So you just need to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. What is he asking? And leave a question. Don't try and solve questions. Try and leave questions. And that makes people thirsty for the truth. So here's a little story. (laughs) It was on our 20th anniversary. Uh, We just did a a breakaway to a nice little hotel in, in Burundi. And in the foyer, as we were booking in, there's this guy that walks around here with shorts. And I could see he's from South Africa. So he, so, so when, when he heard me speaking to the, to, to booking in there, he said to me, Oh, you South African? I said, Yes, I am. And, um, and so we got chatting. And eventually, you know, that led to some coffee and lunch and all the rest. So, and in the, in the chat, there's always this question of what do you do? What, what, what are you doing in Burundi? I mean, what is your vocation? And we always respond, you know, we're missionaries and we're serving churches, we're training leaders. It's where we believe God's calling us uh, to, to serve in this time. So off the bat, he responded, he says, ah, no, 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 no. I'm an atheist and my wife is a white witch. I said to him, mm. um, I said, yeah, that, that must be quite a conundrum for you in your life, eh? He looked at me and says, what do you mean? I said, well, first off, you, you say you believe in nothing. You don't believe in a spiritual realm or nothing. You just believe in what you see. But yet your wife is a white witch, so she believes in the spiritual realm. So I don't know how the two of you reconcile that. I said, but, but let's take matters further. Um, I think your belief as an atheist is stronger than mine because you have to believe in nothing. <laughs> and I can't believe that. <laughs> I say, and that is fine, but if you don't believe nothing is made out of nothing, but where does matter come from? And he smiled. He says, yeah, I've had that one. LAUGHTER so he knew, he knew he had questions and he was just hiding behind something that he thought he believed. And, and so we just parted ways, we paid for our supper and, and so we just sow seeds in people's lives, you know? Because when we do that, God can use that seed again in, in the future somewhere. So finally, Thomas believes with confessing that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Almighty God. He makes a confession here. He makes this confession. And, and Thomas, he may have doubted before, but now he was the first disciple to confess that Jesus Christ himself is God, which none of the other disciples said before this time. So doubting Thomas became believing Thomas. <laughs> so this should actually be believing Thomas' message. A true believer believes because they trust God. Guys, I want you to walk out of here and put in your heart this proposition. A true believer believes 
because I trust God. It's not how well you do or well you think you are doing. It's about God. It's all about Him. He's immovable. We are movable, but He's immovable. So here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun. Not because I can see it, but by it I can see everything else. Isn't it? Last point. Uh, number four. Trust in Jesus or trust in Christ because there is an eternal reward. Now, blessed means, sorry, on verse 29, he says, Blessed are those who believe but have never seen. He's speaking about us. Blessed means having an overwhelming inner joy. It's not just a nice word, oh, bless you, you've sneezed or whatever. It actually means um, that you are blessed. You may receive overwhelming inner joy. So Jesus knew time, a time has come when people cannot see him. Yet they would believe in him. So they would have to believe the testimonies of others. So, so Jesus Christ had an expectation that we trust the scriptures and the testimonies of eyewitnesses of so many people centuries ago who witnessed everything that he did and said. So when we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we would be blessed and receive eternal life. So, so we will receive this inner joy which will not leave us. In 1 Peter 8, 1 Peter 1, 8, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with, with glory. Amen. So you see, Thomas, maybe you also want to sit down and spend time with Jesus physically. Because that was Thomas's desire. He wanted to be physically with Christ. But God's plan is much bigger than a meeting with one person. Guys, his plan is about 7.6 billion people bigger. He's got a much bigger plan than just meeting with one person. And so he set out to make this plan. Thomas understood this plan of God. And later, years years later, he actually moved to India. And he was later martyred there for his faith amongst the Hindus. So Thomas understood this. God wanted to create the capacity to spend time with all people at the same time. You know, as we're sitting here right now, the Holy Spirit is here, speaking to each one of your hearts. And he's ministering to you. And every word that's spoken from, from truth, from, he, from what he said, the Holy Spirit is, is saying to you, yes, yes, listen. We receive the Holy Spirit who will serve as a witness inside of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? You become the temple of God. The presence of God lives inside of you. You are the ark. <laughs> you are all ox walking around with God's presence inside. And we become that living temple of God. So when you read the Bible or listen to a message based on the word, the truth, you will have a deep joy that resonates with what the Holy Spirit is saying. So we become this living temple. And when in Romans 8 verse 16 it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So, 
we have a bit of an issue though today because some of us may have started to lose this joy that we are talking about this morning. Just because of life. Life happens, guys. I mean, let's be realistic. We're not on seventh heaven all the time, or cloud nine, or whatever you want to call it. Life happens. We go through stuff. You know, life doesn't turn out the way that we anticipated it to be. Some of you have young children, and yeah, let's face it. Just to just to get time with God is like a bonus, you know. Um, With all the things, all the things that's keeping us busy. You know, like a fire. I I know in Cape Town we make fire with with uh, nice wood pieces and so on, but in Joburg the guys make it with charcoal, you know, the right way. But uh, (laughs) so. So it must be briquettes, you know. <laughs> but anyway, you make a fire with this charcoal, and if you take one coal out, you'll notice the coal actually dwindles down quite quickly. But you can put that coal back, and when that coal is put back, it ignites again. It's quite amazing. And if we pick up the passage in, in Psalm 51, verse 10 to 12, King David after repenting about his, the sin he committed with Bathsheba, um, realizes the deeper problem he actually had before he even committed the sin. And he says this to God. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Maybe you're experiencing feelings of being in a spiritual desert this morning. Uh, you do not, you do not know how you got there. We all get there, I promise you. I got there a few times already. But King David himself found a very spirit, was also in this very spiritually dry place. So he was far from God. Yet, He was just going through the motions of worship. And we can do the same thing. We can just go through the motions of coming to church, going to life group, caring for the kids, going to work, come back. But actually we are not close to God. We are spiritually dry. And if I ask you this morning, do you really have the joy of your salvation? Do you really walk in that joy? Or are you always looking over the, the fence to see, what the other friends are doing. Ah, oh, they are partying and they're having a good time. You know? So we get, we get confronted with this. So my question this morning is, where are you today? Where are you? Maybe today you need to cry out to God what David cried out to him. And you need to say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew my spirit, Lord. Do not, do, do not remove me from your presence. And do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. But restore to me the joy of your salvation. And I can tell you, friends, <laughs> that it just starts by coming back to giving God His time. It really, really is as simple as that. Come back and, and spend time with Him. If you can give Him five minutes, He'll take that. If you can give Him ten minutes, He'll take that. If we can give him our praise, God, you know. But get back to the presence of God. 
nothing we say on this pulpit or what we say in life groups can replace that time that you can have with God. And that's the place where your joy is restored. Where God will, will, will put you on the eagle's wings and take you up. So I want to encourage you this morning. Do that. Get in front of God. So as we conclude this message this morning, we see that the greatest miracle was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, it was undeniably a fact and recorded in history. So we can't deny it. There's too many eyewitnesses. There is no sin in being a skeptic. But hurry up. You're missing out on a time of eternity. They say the three most difficult choices in life is seeking a career, seeking a house, and seeking a marriage partner, isn't it? But seeking God will give you life choices, guys. It will give you life choices that is so much easier. And it will give you life choices so much substance if you seek God in them rather than seeking it on your own. So let's put God first in our decisions and you will leave a legacy. I promise you. You will leave a legacy. Maybe at a young age, legacy doesn't matter much to you. But wait till you get grandchildren. Then you want to leave a legacy. Yes? And we all have spiritual children and spiritual grandchildren. So you will live a life of adventure and contentment and overflowing joy which comes through the relationship with God. Guys, that's where it starts. Go on the mission trip because God tells you. Don't go there because we tell you. Go to God and ask Him, should I go on this trip, for example? And you will be amazed what He does. Amen. So this morning I want to, I want to bring the meeting to the Holy Communion now. And we're going to go into a time of prayer now. And before I pray, I want to just, I want to encourage you. When you, when you come to the table this morning, imagine you're sitting at the table with Jesus this morning. He's at your table. There's nothing he cannot forgive you. I mean, there's no sin under the sun that he will not forgive you. What's most important is God wants to restore his relationship with you. Not just knowing him, but being with Him. He's given us His Holy Spirit to do that. So access it. All the table is doing is setting up the meeting. That's all. Now you have to get to the meeting. So I want to encourage you, take part in this morning. When you take the blood, when you take the, the, the wine, think of the blood that washes you clean of all unrighteousness. When you take the bread, remember this is the new life that Christ has given you and I, a new life in Him. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank You for this morning. We thank You, Lord, that we have examples in the Word which You've left for us. We, you've left us, Thomas. And this morning we thank You, Lord, that You have entered His life multiple times, Lord, to meet with Him. And this morning we want that same appointment. We want that same meeting. And you've given us direct access to your throne room through your Holy Spirit. And this morning we want to ask you, Lord, if those who, who know you want to go deeper with you, Lord, Father, I pray that you will come and meet each one of us. Lord, I really pray that, you know, life happens and you know that life happens, Father. 
But Lord, you want to go deeper with us. And I really pray that you will meet with us this morning. I pray for those who's here tonight today that is still asking questions. Father, that is so good. I'm so pleased people will ask questions about you. And I pray even for those that is not sure that you will meet with them, Father. That you will have an appointment with each one of them. Each person that's here that don't know you, Lord, that you will have an appointment with them. That you will reveal yourself, your presence to them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Father, that you will do this, we pray. We ask this in your mighty, mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.